0: Ladies, gentlemen, pimps in between, as one Daniel Finter would say, welcome back to the Arsenal Cannon Podcast extravaganza. This is episode 159. Uh, We're going to talk all about our 4-1 thrashing of Palace, which sort of uh, eased the the anxieties following the the Europa League exit in midweek um we'll dissect it in detail we'll give our stop li- stop rising stop fallings maybe headline uh but first got introduced by co-host we've got a different lineup from the last couple weeks obviously it's just been all the brit the brits um rob was unable to watch this game but uh mac has sweeped in off the substitute substitutes bent after being accused of going awol last week mac johnson uh, the celebrity, Mac Johnson, 12252, on Twitter uh, and Instagram. Uh, Mac, what are you saying?
1: Not much off, just the intro. Um, good, good to be back on, boss. Uh, happy to be here, having a great time, doing all right. Um, yeah, excited about this past weekend's win. Excited to, you know, recover my good standing, recover my name um, after the absolute rinsing I received on last week's show. Uh, and it'll be nice for but all of our viewers is to stretched. hear. Rinsing no, stretched. It, it, it's fair, uh, but <laughs> I have fun. Um, I'm back. I'm happy. Just off a two week school holiday. Um, not sure what you call it in the UK. For us, it's spring break. Um, we, we call it Easter yeah. holidays. Yeah, fair's. Uh, but now my school is two weeks because our like Christmas holidays are one week shorter. Um, so I spent the first week touring with a choir. Um, yeah, I'm that type of nerd. And then week two, went skiing with my dad and a couple of old friends. Yeah. Happy days. Nice. Where'd you go skiing? Uh, uh, out in Utah, which means nothing to you. Um, yeah. Nice. Stayed I, was, out west. I was skiing a in January minutes.
0: in the, Alps, the French Alps. Oh, lovely.
1: Yeah. See, the Alps are my, next, are my next goal, but it's expensive to get over there. So yeah, it a lot is, of fun though. Right, um, let's crack on.
0: Yeah, we get three weeks at, at uni, not at school. Uh, but when we were at you at school, we had two weeks. But uh, yours is early, ours is like we've still got two weeks left, and then our holiday starts. Uh, yeah, ours.
1: Is, when do you end? Like, when does your term end post holidays?
0: Uh, I mean, technically, I've got a week of lessons after, right? Uh, and then it's just as a se- assessment period, and I finish on the eleventh of May. I finish uni. So
1: yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think I finished uni. My graduation is twentieth of May. Um. Oh yeah, our academic calendar is quite different, but anyway, as much as we all want to be talking about classes, uh, this, is, this, is, up in. this
0: is not interesting to the to the neutral, no. <laughs> not in the slightest, not at all. Um, where to start? Well, pretty convincing victory over Palace, um, there's a lot of concerns after going out to Sporting. Um, which we weren't able to speak about. So I'm going to get your take just quickly on, on going out of the Europa League and how you feel about that. Um, Yeah. Go ahead.
1: Um, I think it's a little bit of a hint towards last season uh, end of last season when we had to rotate a lot, couldn't quite play with, you know, a squad that was up to Mikel's tactics up to our full abilities. We looked unconvincing. Um, That has kind of been the theme of our Europa League campaign this year it's clear to see how much when we rotate from a full squad um things go down the drain and, you know, you might say, Oh, we started with a full backline. Yes, we did. But losing Tomiyasu and Saliba 20 minutes in was not exactly the dream start. Um, no, in fairness, I think we played well. Uh, we really did dominate. I did the math. They had two shots on target. Um, one of which was the uh, Pedro Gonzalez. Just, I mean, it's a plus gas winner, really like, It's a freak goal Um, and, you know, fair play for him for scoring it. Honestly, a loss on penalties is about the least painful way to exit from a Europa League campaign that I'll be honest, Alf, I don't really care about. Uh, My sights are set on Champions League and, you know, were we sitting fourth in the table, I'd probably be a lot angrier. But the fact of the matter is we are, I believe, either six or eight points off guaranteeing Champions League. Um, And fun fact, we are currently sitting on as many points as we finished on last year still with 10 games to go um so yeah i think over overall i was probably less reactionary than a majority of arsenal fans it was a shit game uh mainly just because i had to wait for like four hours for the replay to come out because there of all the penalties and everything the actual broadcast took three hours to finish and there was another like hour for paramount plus um to upload it but nah in the end watched the whole match with my dad and with a couple of friends and just wasn't utterly happy, but I think my mood's a lot better now that we've demolished Palace.
0: Yeah, I believe it's I believe it's ten points uh until we absolutely guarantee a place in the top four. Uh I share your sentiment uh with getting knocked out of the Europa League. Um I said it before the game, to be honest. Uh and some people didn't agree with me, particularly within my household. They were like, You've got no European pedigree, why would you not want to win the Europa League? We're going for bigger things this season and it's without without doubt that going out is basically only beneficial uh, in terms of being able to rest our players, having a full focus on the league game, full week of training to work on tactics and stuff, system before before games. And I think you could just tell that a lot of the players that play regularly in the Premier League, when they've been playing the Europa League, they're sort of cruising through it and they don't play with the same focus and intensity in that in that in that competition or haven't done this season. Um, and it's because we're chasing the Premier League and all you have to do is look at Pikayo Saka in that tournament, uh, in that game, and he just sort of cruised through it and then and, and tried to sort of get through without, you know, getting into second gear. And so he's, he's fine and fit and firing for the weekend. And then look at his performance in this one, which was very good. And it sort of has allowed us to forget about that about that Europa League exit um and that's what I said after that game I was like <laughs> we'll forget about all this if we go eight points clear on the weekend and we've done it I want to start with your headline Mac what's your headline from from this game
1: uh, it's hard um the thing is as well like normally I would make some comment as to Palace being our bogey team yada 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 um I don't know Um, it's funny in some ways I want a lot of the headlines to be about palace. Um, interestingly, I don't think that, I don't want to say that I don't think we did anything special because it was quite a good win. Um, but it is kind of what we've come to expect from this arsenal team just executed to a very high level. Um, I don't want to go quite that brash. I will say, I mean, I could go quite basic just with, um, Arsenal eight points clear. But, you know, that's the big thing, right? Is that we are now in a position where obviously City have a game in hand over us, but it's a game in hand to return five points short. It is kind of a game in hand that I think they have a week after we finish our schedule because of weird scheduling conflicts. I know they have two fixtures yet TBD, and if they don't stick them at midweeks, depending on their Champions League campaign, it will just be tacked on to the end of the season. But there is, you know, with the eight point gap, if it were a five-point gap and they had a game in hand with kind of their reschedules, it could be a genuine chance that those six points, those two wins could win them the title by a point. Now that we're eight clear, that mathematic probability is out of the window. So I think that's honestly the most, that's the most important thing. So I think I would just go for something basic like that. Yeah, it's about what I've got.
0: Interesting. Uh, equal for the mathematical, look at it. I... I, so I, I was dwelling over this, uh, and thinking, should I go for something more holistic, or should I focus on one element of the of uh, of yesterday? And I've gone with I I'm, I've gone with as personal thing. I'm going to say I need to be more lenient with players, and I'll just say the squad players are good when they're within the the first team setup. That's my headline. It's quite a long headline, wouldn't do great in the tabloids. But uh, to elaborate, I have been quite critical of Rob Holding this season when we've seen in the Europa League, I've said said that there was a time where he was probably, he was starting for us in the 2021 season. He was starting a lot of games. Uh, Him and Gabriel was our main centre-back partnership that season. And then there was a time last season where he was fine for where we were like he was come on and close games out when we're holding on to leads and he play in the cup games um and then i said we've we've the the project has evolved past him that this season and that's what i've been sort of consistent with and i think this game demonstrated that if you put him in the first team with the first team infrastructure around him with Ben White, Gabriel, Ramsdale behind him, Partey in front of him, uh, Zinchenko, you just slot him into the team, one change into a team that is focused and playing with the intensity you'd expect them to in the Premier League and not in a different competition, then we can still play like Arsenal. Because um, I said we couldn't play like Arsenal with Rob Holding in the team. I said we couldn't play on the halfway line. We couldn't suppress them. Um, we couldn't, you know, camp inside there their half because Rob holding is too slow and he's not got the mobility to play in that system. He's not got the ball on the ball qualities. Um and this game he made me look like a fool with this performance because uh we'll get on to how I think him and Gabriel sort of dovetailed nicely but and how I thought he was very good on the ball. But I think he showed that if he is slotting into this into this team then you know he'll be good. And it's the same with other players that have done that this season. You think of Fabio Vieira at Brentford slotted in was fine we've been a bit critical of him at times in the first team uh sorry in the in when he's been playing in Europa League um and other competitions and not with the same players around him um Eddie Nketiah for example we were getting a little bit frustrated with him before the World Cup break uh with some of his Europa League performances and even off the bench when he wasn't getting the minutes you put him into the to the to the team after the World Cup break and he has a run of games and he's pretty good Um, I know that sort of fizzled out towards the end, but it showed that, you know, again, with the right personnel around him in the Premier League, you can slot these um, squad players in, which is what you want. So, yeah, I think that was my, that's my headline. That's my main takeaway. Let's get into the team um, and enter the game. Sorry. And firstly, were you a little bit surprised that, because I thought Martinelli wouldn't start this game um potentially just because he played 120 minutes on the weekend and he's a player who's about sort of his tenacious work rate and the energy that he brings. Um, Zinchenko as well played 120 minutes. I still expected him to start. Did you were you a bit surprised that Gabriel Jesus didn't come into this game? Because I know I remember seeing Daniel on the group chat. Um and you know he's our best player and Arteta said he's got to work his way back in, but I saw that sort of thought that was sort of tongue in cheek.
1: Yeah, I mean I think a, you know, very little that Arteta says is tongue-in-cheek. Um, but just in terms of his spot within the eleven, um, to be honest, no, I'm not. I think that Arteta kind of has this philosophy often of he will play players, like he'll just start kind of chipping the minutes in like the 45th or the 60th or whichever, right? Um, and I think... Getting Troussard and Martinelli kind of settled into the game allows for greater flexibility when Jesus does come on in terms of, you know, depending on who's tired or who's maybe not having the greatest day of who they bring off, right, uh, for a replacement. I think that, you know, there's that Mikel quote about Bukayo Saka, about the amount of minutes going into his legs, and he says at one point, like, you know, listen, the elite players, the best players of the world are playing the full match two, three times a week. And that's just the expectation. That's the baseline. So I think that, was I entirely see, uh, surprised to see Martinelli start? No. I think the other alternative for me would have been Trossard out wide and starting Jesus up front. And while that you know doesn't look terrible on paper, Trossard and Jesus, A, have rarely, if ever, played together. So there's quite little on-field chemistry. But also that would be kind of with the intention of probably substituting jesus after the first half and for me just from kind of my perspective i feel like it's smarter to start with a squad that you is kind of the one that you're planning on trusting to win the match and then bringing on jesus to get him minutes later as opposed to starting with someone who you know you're going to have to take off because that kind of that defeats in some ways the mentality of setting out a team that's going to win from the off
0: yeah, and I think it, uh, I think it says something about the position, uh, the, the the position the squad is in at the moment. The fact that you know the player that was our best player uh, was our best player for the first part of the season in Jesus uh, before the World Cup break comes back, and in previous years we might have been you know rushing to get that player back into the team but we are able to be a bit more cautious with him and allow him to settle back in a bit more slowly. Um, and, you know, giving him 45 minutes on Thursday was smart. And then we brought him into this game uh, later on. And it, he'll get, have, you know, two weeks of training now to get back up to match fitness. And it'll be interesting to see who starts against Leeds. Um, but I also think it says a lot just about Trossard as an individual and the impact he's made um, coming in he's just completely changed our front three and how it's been operating previously to when we had Eddie and Kessier in the team. I think we hit a bit of a, a stumbling block and we were struggling to break down low blocks for a little bit. And it looked, like we may have an issue. You think back to those Everton Brentford games. Uh, and then he tries Trossard there and Trossard has given us a lot of what Jesus has given, uh, had given us. And he's, you know, I thought he had another excellent game. Uh, Let's talk about the game actually itself. Palace in a bit of disarray at the moment. Obviously sacked Vieira just a few days ago. I watched them. This is the third game I've watched them this week. I saw them uh, just just get past Man City after Michael Elise gave away a stupid penalty. Max just doing his blind down. Um, yeah. Uh, and then I watched them in midweek against Brighton. I was there for the Brighton Palace game and uh, they were bad and they look bad at the moment. I think they've got issues that they, they had obviously Guaita was out. Uh, so was Sam Johnson's. So they went with Whitworth in goal, the 19 year old who has looked competent to be fair. Uh, I saw it that Brighton game, he looked very composed on the ball. He made a couple good reflex saves. He is really short, and that's something I've not seen any of the commentators or any of the narrative talk about, the fact that he he just looks like... I remember seeing him, Alexis McAllister, I was right behind that goal, um, and I remember Alexis McAllister standing next to him, and he looked pretty much the same height, um, and he couldn't reach that solid March goal midweek. But anyway, I think that was something that Arteta would have wanted to sort of drill into his players, test this short, young goalkeeper. They obviously had Anderson out as well. He was a big miss in terms of the ball progression from the back. Um, They had to bring in an ageing James Tompkins. It was a very good time to play Crystal Palace. Um, And I think it was pretty dominant uh, throughout. I thought the holding Gabriel thing, there was you know question marks over whether we should try and find some weird different configuration for the back three or back four whether to sort of uh, negate having to play Rob Holding but I think in terms of the hierarchy of the score it made sense he had to show some trust in, in Rob Holding and play him in this game and I think it suited him and I think it showed as I was saying before we can play with him on the ball much better like I thought when he came into the club I thought he was sort of known for his passing, and then it's sort of gone downhill. Maybe we've got better passes from the back into the club by now, uh, but also I think he's just lost confidence in that that aspect. But in this game, you know, he was he was punching the ball into players. You know, really nice pace on the passings, and very nice switches, um, and it just meant we didn't miss Saliba in that aspect at all. Who's absolutely brilliant on the ball, as we know, and I think they dovetailed nicely, as I was saying earlier. Gabriel tends to like to be the aggressor with Saliba sweeping behind Um, but it was different in this game. Palace, Edwards just peeled onto Rob Holding and allowed Rob Holding to play his natural game which is get touched tight and be very aggressive and you know if things did leak through then Gabriel was the sweeper-upper. So yeah how did you feel about that sort of aspect of our centre-back partnership?
1: Well, Alf, um you know that I am a Rob Holding apologist. Uh, you know that I'm one of his bigger fans. I mean, he's actually he can... blocked me on Instagram. Uh, Has he? No. Yeah, no, a not. while ago, and I was oh, just very funny.
0: confused because I don't remember ever yeah, yeah, doing anything, really. Maybe it, I'll get I'm a bad at lying. This, this
1: is the we.love.you.arsenal account, yes. not your personal. Yes, it is that. Yeah. I figured. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I mean I love Rob Holding, but um I think a two points one um i did like his ability to get touch tight and i think he's always had that switch pass i think where he struggles is kind of those more vertical balls through the lines but i mean even from he came to arsenal if i'm correct from bolton bolton wanders um and i remember before that acl injury he was really promising especially in terms of his distribution um but, you know, with every good hairline comeback has to come has to come an on-field comeback. And, you know, I, I truly do think that he fit well into the system because of his physicality. Um, this is not a slight on Saliba. He's a wonderful player. Um, but I think Rob Holding, really, in terms of his aerial dominance, in terms of his strength, and in terms of, you know, having two touch-tight defenders against a squad that, frankly tend to be really hell-bent on having their number nines and their central fo- central forwards act as hold-up men to allow the wide players to get in behind. Um, that was a really good tactical switch because Ben White, who we'll get onto later, had the absolute running of Zaha for a majority of the match and had one really good recovery run when they kind of attacked through Elise uh, in the first half. But, you know, just in general, I think... It was a squad that, again, was able to counter for Holding's lack of mobility. But as you mentioned, right, in 2021 or 21-22, whichever, where, I think it was 2021, where Holding and Gabriel was kind of the partnership of note, right? Where they were the outstanding pair. They're a pair of players that know each other's strengths, know how to play with one another. And I think Holding's passing was complemented on the day by the fact that Crystal Palace also were not that aggressive getting forward. He had almost unlimited time on the ball. And I think... His distribution yeah, they, they didn't yeah, press him, which like I was at all. Like
0: a little bit surprised him, about. I was yeah, like,
1: him Gabriel, yeah. he's, not, he's a. he is not a press resistant player. Like, I would say more than his immobility or his passing range, both of which I think are, he tends to position himself well enough to cover. His press resistance is the one thing where he really gets let down in my mind. And I say this is someone who loves the kid. But um, yeah, I just think generally he. He played in a game that, you know, accentuated a lot of his strengths and where his weaknesses weren't necessarily targeted. And he looked, you know, significantly better than competent. I mean, he looked very good. And I think this is, this is what we have in Rob Holding. He is a third choice right center back. He is probably fifth or sixth choice overall at the club. But that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? Like with his leadership, with his personality, half of the reason I love him is because He's one of those squad players that though they might not get every minute on the field, the moments they get, they will often make count. Um, There was one incident that I know has been going around on Twitter where he kind of has a slide tackle right before Zaha is like one large chance. I'd like to clarify that he wins the slide tackle. The ball takes an unlucky deflection. In fact, a double deflection off of his back directly to a crystal palace player. And then another one during the buildup, like it's,
0: is that, is that when he hits the post and then it almost goes in? Off yes, right?
1: oh, that, yeah. that, that's that Zaha chance. But the chance was created by a Crystal Palace counterattack, which holding, I think, slide tackles, stops, and the ball takes a bad ricochet. But again, there's nothing you can do about that. White had it covered. Um, but that was probably their best chance of the match. Um, I mean, can you, can you remember another kind of equally valuable?
0: Well, I think... Uh... That was the closest they came, but I don't know if yes. I necessarily think it was the best chance. I think they had yeah. one where they had one Zaha that was higher was playing, XG. In, yeah, Zaha was playing yeah. in the second half and he hit it sort of just wide. I don't know if Ramsay was top. Yes.
1: Um yeah, I remember that one. But again, right, in terms of expected goals, maybe not, in terms of looking most likely to score, absolutely. Um, but just in general, right? In the past, that would be the type of chance where you see the hole where Rob holding should be. And you, you know, you're ready to blame it on him. But I think a, it wasn't his fault, but just in general, he, he had quite a good game and I'm quite happy with him. That's about it. Um, and I think Gabrielle, who, by the way, I know there's been a lot going around recently on Twitter about like, oh, who would you put in your EA Sports or PL team of the season or whatever it might be. I think if there's one player from our squad who's likely to get maligned for that award, it's going to be Gabrielle. And I, I will stand on the hill that he has been better this season than William Saliba. He has been truly monstrous. And I mean, realistically, I should it should be both of them in that team. It should, in uh, I'm not hearing yeah. any
0: of the Sven Botman bullshit. I know Sven Botman is good. Uh, yeah. But he's, not, he's not playing in an Arteta system or Pep system where he's playing no. on the halfway line every week. He's sat often in a lot deeper, which is a lot easier to plan.
1: And he's been great, but also he, you know, I think was a shout, a permanent shout when... Newcastle were sitting third and were the third best team in the league, they've dropped off that pace. So I don't think he's up for that conversation regardless. It should be Saliba and Gabrielle. Whether it is, I don't know because of the media frenzy, but yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I saw actually on that, I saw uh, Rob tweet earlier that it should basically be the whole Arsenal team. Um, And I sort of agree. I think it was Haaland and Rashford uh, and De Bruyne were the only players that weren't from the Arsenal team. And genuinely, it could be, that's a good argument. Uh, of I think
1: volume. I'd make a case. There are a couple of keepers. I'd make a case for Nick Pope, who has been truly exceptional. I'd make a case for Allison, who has saved an absurd amount of goals for Liverpool. Uh, the only reason they are as high as you know, where they are is because of him. Um, I'd make a case for Rodri, because he's always amazing. And I think De Bruyne was in that team as well
0: um yeah, yeah. De-, De Bruyne yeah. or Haaland, and Rashford I think but then he has yes. Partey and I think I'd have Partey and Odegaard in there
1: in fairness as would I but I'm also biased fair enough
0: um yeah I think despite you know we all know about what Rob, Rob Holding brings to the dressing room um his dressing room influence where he's been described as by Ramsdale as the glue um but I think when you actually get onto the pitch you can't you know, you can't just bring those soft soft, factor to, to soft factors to the dressing room. You have to be able to perform Check on the pitch. pitch. And the minimum, the, what you want from your backup is to come in when a player, you know, the starter is unavailable and to basically not prevent the rest of the team from functioning as how it normally would. Um, and maybe you'll be slightly more vulnerable Uh, as if it's a defender and I think we were slightly more vulnerable particularly in transition but you'd expect that from a player who's worse than your starter because he's going to be as a backup so you know as long as it's not a catastrophic drop off and as long as you can still play the the way you want to then that's what you want and that's what he gave us in this game I think there was quite an uh, obvious tactical ploy from Arteta in this game particularly down the right hand side where we know that Zaha isn't necessarily going to track back as much. He doesn't press much. Um, and he's going to be Palace's outlet. So they're going to keep him high and wide so they can get the ball to him in transition and he can cause havoc. And we counted that by basically saying White and Saka are going to play very high up the pitch and we're going to isolate Tyreek Mitchell and play these sort of underlapping and overlapping runs. And those were the ones where we kept getting in behind. You think of so many so many instances, obviously, it led to the second goal. Um, and even the first goal, Saka on the overlap. So, that was a clear tactical ploy. Odegaard sort of combining with them. And it led to the first goal, as I just said. There was an overlap for Saka. Saka, brilliant pick out for Martinelli. Uh, I think it's a brilliant goal. He shifts the ball to his left foot and strikes across it. And it's a really difficult angle. Um to put us one 0 up and it was very much deserved. We ain't created too much by that point, but we've been in so many dangerous positions and and Palace couldn't couldn't live with us. They had the one moment obviously with the Zaha shot, which it was a bit unlucky. Uh bit lucky, sorry, that it didn't go off Ramsdale and back into the net. I don't know if Ramsdale touched it, but yeah, anything you want to say on that sort of first half an hour in the opening goal?
1: Yeah. Well I will say first off, Ramsdale didn't touch it on the way to the post, absolutely touched it on the way back. And he's got this little thing where he'll hook his heels behind him when he dives. Um, I don't know if it's a balance thing or to get back up easier or whatever it might be. But um, it was the one thing that saved it from not going in because it kind of got caught in that pocket behind his calves and went you know, out of bounds instead. Um, first 30 minutes I thought were really excellent. I think the opening 15 or 20 felt a little bit like sporting um, where it was a little too open. We didn't really let them do much of anything but we weren't necessarily absurdly convincing ourselves it was kind of a lot of possession looking for opportunities a lot of probing a lot of half chances nothing really concrete um and you know a couple of miscommunications as well ben white had that one gorgeous through ball to soccer that like played off of his back and yes he was offside but um you know there were a lot of kind of little moments like that where it was half half an inch disconnect a couple of Jacca Martinelli, Trossard through balls that just went quite beyond a player. Um, you know, a little scrappy, a little scruffy. We are a team that started fast this season, and I think we've, we've stepped back from that in the past couple of weeks, especially we're still winning, but we're not necessarily coming out the blocks with two goals right away, which frankly I don't mind um, because we're getting them anyway. But just in general, I think the opening... 30 minutes were especially key in terms of establishing our tactical presence on the game. You know, I think once we got one, it was almost destined that we were going to go and get more. But I think just leading up to that, really testing out Palace, figuring out their system, making sure we had a way to counter it, and then just relentlessly punishing. You mentioned that right side. I mean, Zaha tracking back um, Sokka, I believe Sokka's first goal, was, you know, caused by a through ball that Wilfred Zaha just doesn't even make an effort to get to. His positioning is poor. He doesn't track the run of soccer behind him. Um, might have been his second, frankly. I don't remember. I think it was his first. But I think it was it was the first goal. Yeah, it, it was that kind of left-footed pass. And you yeah. mentioned their keeper. Yes, Alf, he's short. Um, I do want to highlight something really fun about him. Three years ago, uh, basically, his first matchup was when Palace played, I believe. Was it Chelsea that they played last weekend? Or during the midweek, one of the two? No, it was, it was Brighton no. in midweek. Was it Brighton? No, it was Brighton in midweek. Yeah, yeah, Um, because I was there. Yes, you're right. No, of course. Um, Whatever it was, I think it was that of the game before was his first game for them. Um, And it was the same. Yeah. So I
0: I think he played for them before, but I don't know if it was a league game. But his first league game was the Brighton one in midweek. Yes,
1: fair. I think it might have been. Anyway, there is a video three days ago or three years ago on that day. Palace had beaten somebody and he was the ball boy behind the net that celebrated with Zaha. And then to like see him step in a goal, it was really, was really cool. It was on the PL account. Um, or maybe NBC Sports Soccer on Instagram, regardless. Uh, but now, cool story. He made a couple of good saves. Um, but I think what was really key for Palace is that they didn't trust him. It's clear that they don't. Um, he was not assertive in coming to claim a lot of balls. There were a lot of moments where I think, you know, often a goalie, we see this a lot with goalies like Jose Sa, where they will kind of be aggressive, grab the ball, you know, curl up and really take the sting, take the momentum out of moments in a game. It's really frustrating, um, and I think those elements of game control that uh, their keeper lacks, but also you know that their center backs weren't necessarily trusting him in. Um, He's right. so yeah, like a five
0: foot 19 year old on his second yeah, Premier League you know, appearance.
1: It, so it's but it's one of those where I think their the Palace center backs were clearing a lot more than they or- ordinarily would with Guaita or even Johnston. Um, I think that they were more inclined to give us corners and more inclined to kind of hoof the ball out than they were to let him come claim and trust that he'd be in the right spot. And it kept the ball in play for a lot of the time, which just allowed us to kind of slowly suffocate in. And you mentioned as well, the overload on the right side. I agree. It was a tactical, really a nice tactical step. But, um, I think Xhaka's positioning was really fascinating. We've seen with Trossard coming back in that he's gotten into more goal scoring positions, and of course he's scored in the last two, but um two in all competitions, that is. But I also think that he picked up some really odd positions out wide that allowed Zinchenko and Martinelli to kind of combine and allowed him then to Marco Lisa. He, he did and,
0: against Fulham as well. Yeah. He was getting he was often almost
1: wide player at times. Exactly, which was yeah. fascinating. But I think his positioning as well, just to really be the player. Um, And this is a very Guardiola, Arteta, etc. tactic to have a player all the way out on the far touchline, giving defenders something to think about and trusting your teammates to find that pass. Just having that very wide outlet, I think, with him stepping into that rotation really gave Palace fits whenever we came over to the left.
0: Yeah, and I think Trossard's reignited that whole side. And we've spoken about it in recent games.
1: Especially with Um, the flexibility. That's, Yeah. We've been over exactly,
0: it. Yeah. I mean, Trossard's just such an intelligent play. He understands the nuances of that role. When to, to drop off and collect the ball in midfield, when to stretch the defense, when to peel out to the left and sort of rotate with Martinelli combining with Shaka, which we'll talk about for the third goal. Let's talk about the second goal. Um, cause I do want to get to see some individuals after the, you know, whole game talk. Um, Brilliant move from start to finish. I think it was Zinchenko played in Shaka on the left hand side overlap. Shaka puts it across, everyone misses it. Uh, it's recycled and then White with a really clever, sort of intricate pass into Saka. Again, as you were talking about, Zaha switching off. Um, pretty dreadful from him. Um, and perhaps a, a finish where <laughs> a slightly bigger, more experienced goalkeeper might have you know, kept it out. But he managed to sneak it through. Maybe it's a very smart finish from Seca and it was not no more than we deserved. And it gave us the breathing space to have a quite a relaxed second off, um, in which I think we took our foot off the gas a little bit. Um, but I think that made sense given how <laughs> the players were probably tiring a bit, given the fact they played 120 minutes in midweek. Um, and also just, you know, game state when you're, in a comfortable position, you're going to drop off a bit. And Palace had a little bit more joy. They had more of the ball in the second half, but it was still, you know, we still added two more goals. We still won the second half. Um and let's talk about that third goal because it's Zinchenko breaking the line with with a vertical pass, a brilliant pass into Sheka. Shaka. We spoke about him a lot in sort of recent weeks. And I even wrote a piece about it. Um about is this the time to start looking for alternatives in that left eight position? Because when we were playing against low blocks, he just wasn't, he wasn't, you know, operating well in the final third, his outputs dropped. Uh, And it seems like every time we sort of retire him, he comes back and, you know, uh, redeems himself or or sort of proves to us that he could still do it because I think he's been excellent in recent games. And again, I think it is, leandro trossard's impact on that side and you look at the combination for this goal it's a beautiful one-touch layoff into trossard trossard the technical ability the awareness and the vision to pull off that beautiful reverse ball uh i'm gonna do it again and say shaka's finish is a bit unconventional and maybe is slightly more naturally um inclined to be in that position uh pulls off a bit more of a conventional finish. I'm thinking of Vieira. And I'm thinking back to the, the Fulham move where he sort of fucked it with a touch when he should have just shot. Um but it's 3-1 nevertheless. Um and yeah, 3-0, sorry, and that was a absolute game over and it allowed us to make some subs. Uh yeah, anything on that on that goal Mac.
1: Well it's a classic Granite Shaka finish and it's a finish we've seen him miss a lot where the ball will just get slightly too far ahead of him and I'll kind of try and slide and do something with it. Um, it is the ultimate woe of Granite Jaka. He gets into perfect positions and often just doesn't quite have the nous or, especially, the athleticism to finish them in the way that he could. A player half a step quicker than Jaka gets there upright, passes it into the net. No worries, right? Um, but I think, I mean, his interplay with Trossard and Zinchenko during that move was spectacular, um, and spectacular throughout. But also we talk a lot on this podcast about players dropping in and out of form at various times and whether it's kind of good to have all of your players on form at once. It's what we had earlier this season with Saka and Jesus and Martinelli all firing when they stepped off. I think it was our center backs that ended up scoring a fair few goals while they were off the boil. Um, This is the perfect example of a player ticking into form kind of when others aren't. The only real player in form right now is Martinelli, who is shit hot at the moment. Um, and, you know, going under the radar, it's pretty much a goal a game. But Saka had his first real, like, barnstormer in a couple of weeks. Um, again, it's the sneakiest, maybe two goals and one assist you'll ever find. But for Xhaka from midfield, a player who doesn't score many to really start chipping in again, um, I think bodes well for the, for the remainder of this season. Yeah. Um, especially because, you know, again, we've mentioned like third time today in the past 10 minutes, Trossard's, you know, movement and flexibility is able to get him back into those positions, but you saw it to comment on his goal. Maybe it's sporting. Um, It's a really mature finish. It is direct. It's powerful and it's not one of a kind. We've seen that from him this season. And, you know, I think this is, this is more the type of goal that when you're in a vein of form, it'll go in for you, right? Xhaka does not score that exact finish three weeks ago. It's taking a deflection. It's getting blocked. The goalie's got it. It doesn't matter, right? I mean, there was last yeah, week. He gets exactly. played through uh, Fulham also with and he, he just doesn't.
0: In shoot. some ways, in some ways, that touch
1: is too easy, though. Like that chance, I think was too easy for him to score. Um, that's just the weirdo of Xhaka is. He wants he wants a more difficult chance, but not just in general. Beautiful combination play, good finish. Um, i think you're right as well that it did allow subs on and kind of allowed us to just sit back tactically a little bit more it's also important to note that palace i believe right before that goal did have quite a spell of pressure like they didn't do anything with it but just kind of the tactical resilience from you know a team i think against sporting we did not necessarily get out tacticed i think we got you know beaten to a lot of 50 50s and i think we lost that midfield battle and I think there were times against Sporting where we were sitting deep and they looked the better team, but I think to co- you know to come from an extended uh, spell of possession for Palace where it didn't necessarily look the same, but you know where we've just been in our own end and then to take it up, regain possession, play our game, and score a goal the way we score—it's we it looked really the goal looked unfazed is the best word that I can give to you for that Alf. It looked like we were entirely unbothered with whatever Palace had to offer, and I think that is. Again, we've talked about that little bit of arrogance. That I think is is re- was really the key to to shutting down the game, you know, mentally. Palace did not look at it, and I think that was the nail in the coffin.
0: Yeah. Um they did grab that goal though, and we looked, Ramsdale looks a bit fuming. With, set piece uh, as always. But yeah. yeah. It's, it's another set piece, and I've I've watched it again. I can't quite understand who's in the in the wrong. And if, if there's anyone to blame uh, other than that, it's, it's a slightly fortunate that it just falls for Schlup. Um, it's a weird finish. Um, they did a VAR check as well, but it was given. And then the fourth goal, uh, Kieran Tierney on as a substitute who had a very nice cameo. Actually, he looked full of energy. Um, and he was getting down that line. And I think maybe we've forgotten about him slightly. And just because Zinchenko offers us something, you know, that he can't doesn't mean he doesn't have his own uses and he's, he's not useful in certain scenarios still. Um, and in this game, when Zinchenko was waning a bit physically, cause he played 120 minutes in, in midweek, um, having T and energy, uh, and you know, Dealing with Elise late on on that side, it really helped, and obviously Ayu came on. Uh, a terrible footballer, um, and it's a really nice cutback, and it shows he doesn't just sort of spam crosses and hope for the best. He's able to pick someone out nicely, and it's such a good finish from Saka. I think it's been overlooked a little bit. You know, I haven't seen enough, uh, you know, hype for that finish. Um, he wraps his foot around it. I think if you look at the angle from behind Saka sort of uh looking towards the goal, you can see how much it curls sort of. It's going miles out uh to the left hand side of the post and it curls back in. Um and the keeper has no chance. It's a really underrated finish. Um and that's 13 goals for the season for him and Moss and least so they're both getting better output. And yeah, we just sort of saw it out and it was pretty comfortable. Any anything you want to say on sort of the end of the game, the Saka goal before we get into our stock risings.
1: Eh, no, not really. I do I do think, for once, me offering a, a correction on this podcast, I do think Sokka's on 12. Um, not 13, it might be 13 he's all on, comps. He's
0: on 13 all comps. Yeah, uh, it's, it's 12. He, had, he got one in the Europa League. Um, well, no, exactly, yeah. I it's 12, I in, the yeah, 12 yeah. in the Prem,
1: yeah. Yeah, 12 in the Prem. Um, on that note, random fun fact, I'm on fun fact mood today. Um, We have the three U21 players, 21 or under, um, in the world right now, or at least in top five, I know that, with the most goals. Um, Balogun, obviously, is ours with, I believe, 17 now. Martinelli on 13, Saka on 12. Just a little tidbit. We are young. We're awesome. Um, But I'm happy to pop into Stock Rising. I just think if there were ever a game for, you know, I think there's a debate in the chat at one point about, would you rather Jesus get one back or have a Saka hat trick I think so much store is put in hat tricks as like a metric of success. I think it would have been nice for him to get one just for fun. But, you know, either yeah, way, i got I'll a second.
0: S- I'd still rather have seen Jesus get off the mark just to... Oh, a-
1: as would I. I think Daniel I think- said the opposite, but I'm in agreement with you.
0: I think if you look at even the impact Jesus had, you could see just how dynamic he is and his, his dribbling ability, t- touches and tight spaces, the way he draws defenders out. It's just in the final moment in front of goal, um, where he's, I know it's been very limited um, sort of sample size since his return, but you can still see there's a bit of hesitancy and he just needs that goal. There's one moment I think, didn't really have a chance in this game, but he was played in sort of, uh, and he just sort of overruns it and tries to take it round a defender. I don't know if you remember that, um, but yeah, I'd rather have seen Jesu scored. Uh, The other subs, there was obviously Jorginho came on, uh, looked okay. Uh, Thomas Partey obviously went to right back, which he did at Atletico. Um, Perhaps an indicator into what we'd do if Ben White was to get injured now, because obviously we don't really have another option there, um, given uh, Tomiyasu's injury. Um, I personally don't know if that's what I'd do. I think we don't want to move too many the pieces of the puzzle round. And I'm not sure about Partey with his body playing in the right back position, having to overlap and stuff. Um, I don't really know what I'd do. Any, any quick thoughts on that?
1: I mean, my first inclination would be to say, play Saliba at right back, but um, he's injured. I think the options, I wouldn't mind Partey at right back. I mean, he played, Against us in the Europa League at right back and didn't absolutely do you want to
0: move that was number. The first, that, that was yeah. when he was like 25 or something. No, so I know he's younger, yeah, yeah, but also, but do you want to move another piece of the puzzle around rather than just plug someone else in and everything else stays the same?
1: No, not necessarily. I think an interesting experiment I saw on Twitter uh, would be playing Zinchenko at right back and having him invert from there. Um, I think it's I think it's a bold take, but I think if we played, you know, Partey and had him drift a little farther to the right, um, it could it could be solid. I don't know, man. Again, I think, with that, yeah, I
0: think again you're moving another piece of the puzzle around. I'd exactly. just try Tierney there. To be honest, plug him in. I don't know how well he's I think. Su- yeah, doing that. I think or the other the other one I saw was Reese Nelson at right back, which is interesting. Yeah,
1: he he's played at right wing back before. Um, I think the other option would be to shift the entire back line across, do something with, um, you know, tyranny at left center back, like he plays for Scotland, come out in a three that way, um, would I think be the other play. Hopefully Ben like
0: White just doesn't get injured, to be honest.
1: Well, yeah, sure. I mean, it's what, 10 games left in the season. I think he should be okay, but that's that's me yeah. knocking on every piece of wood I can find in my room. Yeah. Yeah, you never know.
0: Um, you never know. Smithbrook came on. Uh, wasn't heavily involved. Um and that's something me and Rob spoke about last week. We spoke about Smith rowes position for this season in the squad. Um Kivy all came on, uh had one nice moment where he tracked back and sort of um put in a good tackle for on Zaha um and that was accounting for a bit of Rob holding uh immobility. Um and yeah, that's about it from the game. Let's give our stock risings, because I think there's so many options here. Um, I think we get three each, to be honest. I think it's one of those days where...
1: My goodness. All right, let's do it.
0: We have have to. There's so many good performances. Um, And I'll let you kick off, Mac. Give me your first stock rising.
1: Ben White. Um, Looked every ounce a $50 million player. Had a couple of amazing interceptions. I have actually got, from the Out of Context Ben White uh, account on Twitter, his stats from the game. Um an assist, of course, great assist to Saka. Um nine passes into the final third, four long balls, one tackle, three interceptions, six recoveries total, three clearances, two ground duels one, one aerial duel one, did not get dribbled past. For I you can't ask for more. You simply can't. Um But also his presence on the game, the way he drew that one foul from Zaha, he's uh, he, he is a wonderful combination of technical and physical and a little bit shithousey all rolled into one um and I think I mean I'm still remembering back to the first center back we put it right back being Callum Chambers and when we thought that was the solution uh to you know the world itself but Ben White I mean he's been you know really rock solid this season but this was a really special game from him uh if Sokka hadn't scored the second goal I said this in the chat he was my man of the match, no doubt. And I think this was a game that made a, a lot of folks who might have been a little more doubtful towards him, I think, stand up and take notice. Yeah, the streets won't forget
0: Callum Chambers away at West Ham in the COVID season. That 3-3. That three, three, what he I,
1: a hell of a game that yeah. was from him.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, Rob, uh, Ben White. Brilliant in this game. He's he's just adapted to this role unbelievably now. He's like he's been like the best right back in the Prem this season. Um the overlapping, the the knowing of when to make those overlapping and under, underlapping runs, supporting Saka, some of those passes into Saka in this game to get him in behind. Obviously, the the assist just absolutely brilliant. Um and defensively, I thought pretty good as well. He helped Rob Holding with the intensity that he played with the the sort of uh, willingness to sort of clean up for holding when the ball were going behind him and, you know, help him out with Zaha coming in from that side. Brilliant performance. Um, and yeah, he definitely deserves it. I think this is one yeah. of his best displays since the World Cup.
1: Right? Had that yeah. one slide tackle as well where Granite Xhaka yes. pulls him up, give him a big hug. Yeah, wonderful yeah, moment there. Because he gets brilliant. the original challenge and then gets the second as well once Xhaka's beaten. Really wonderful.
0: Yeah, yeah. He was, he was outstanding. Yeah. Um, well, I'm going to go with the player just in front of him, um, in Bukayo Saka. Obviously, two goals, um, and just on the front three in general, I saw the sort of Firmino Salamane comparisons with Trossard doing the sort of Firmino, uh, type role and dropping off and trying to sort of play as a false nine. And we've got the two star wide forwards who are getting, you know, the output. And in this, that was this game, sort of illustrates that quite nicely. Takes both the goals brilliantly. He's just a constant threat. Um, can go on either side. And I think he led this game for shot-creating actions. He had six, I think. Yeah, or four. Odegaard had six. He received 15 progressive passes in this game. So we, he is our out- um, Wild. We look to wild. him. We, we look to him. that You know, the, the receiver of our progressive passes um, is going to be our most threatening player because we're going to look to him in advanced areas to you know do stuff and he did that he had 15 shot uh touches in the attacking penalty area which was like eight more than anyone else um just our main threat absolutely outstanding and he's in the conversation for player of the season uh for the premier league not just arsenal um yeah second stock rising and anything on saka quickly
1: well he did hit his double double First player in the prem this season did, to hit ten did. goals, ten assists, which is mega. And he's
0: only Kane and Haaland have more goal contributions.
1: Yep. Um, in fairness, we do have, I think, three in the top ten. Um
0: four in, four in the top ten. Only right, Trossard, well. Trossard, yeah. If you, yeah, you count Trossard's Brighton numbers as yeah, well. Yeah, and Martinelli.
1: Love that. Well, um, four in the top ten is absurd. My second player is going to be the player nearest behind Ben White, that being Aaron Ramsdale. Um For a number of reasons. First, I think his stock has been slowly on the rise. If we had had the opportunity to talk about the sporting match, um, I would have highlighted that amazing, and I mean absolutely preposterous second save that he makes for their second shot on target. Um, But he's had one of those in the last like three games, just an absolute worldie of a one-on-one save, saving a goal. Um, I mean, truly, he's in the form of his life right now. You know, was unlucky to get beaten. Very unhappy about it, um, against Palace. But I want to highlight him for two other things. One, there's a very funny video of him doing the rounds on social media, where the way he like does a little kick with his left foot perfectly mirrors Martinelli's goal. And I don't know if he's practicing voodoo or he's got his crystal ball next to his water bottle or what it is, but it's quite funny. Uh, But really, I want to highlight his his distribution in this game. Palace didn't press high, but on the occasions that they did, he didn't miss a pass to either Ben Waiters and Chenko. And the specific pass that I want to highlight was his absolute missile to Bukayo Saka in around the 80th minute. I mean, he clears probably 75% of the pitch inch perfect to Saka's feet on a breakaway. It's just, it's absurd from him. Um, And when he, you know, when he's playing with confidence, there's very few goalies that I would ever prefer to watch. And I'm not even high on watching goalkeepers. I just think that, Ramsdale is is kind of the perfect complement to this team both in terms of his personality but especially in terms of his distribution I mean it's underrated he's gone underrated this season he uh AFC James on Twitter does his little weekly goals and assists updates and Ramsdale somehow is not above a 7.0 for average performance rating this season which I think is absolutely criminal um because he's I, I severely think part underrated it's probably that he's just he doesn't often have many saves to make Well, exactly but you, you know, know he got i think a 6.9 on the weekend having made four saves against palace like that's not a low amount of work that's true um,
0: but generally i don't yeah. i don't really look at those num- those sort of rating oh, systems cause I think neither just, do i it's based just, it's, off just yeah. like some some metrics like exactly
1: some it's some just a little memory. graphic where like he's the only orange blob on a wall of green and it annoys me but hey man um in general, I think all we need is, you know, for that graphic to be perfect is Gabriel to get an assist. But now Ramsdale um, really is an amazing player and we're lucky to have him.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the best goalkeepers in the world at the moment. Um, and I don't think that's controversial to say. You look at his distribution distribution's outrageous and in this game is outrageous. And I've seen some grumblings online to say that he's someone that we could, you know, uh replace and 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 move past and I think it's absolutely absurd i don't know what people are watching um there's probably better shot stoppers out there, but he's pretty good at it um and I think it's more important that he's good on the ball uh for a team that doesn't face that many shots on target um My second player is it has to be granite shacker because I admit that I've been frustrated with him at times recently. Um, and maybe that frustration was a bit harsh, given we know what he is um, and maybe I should just know that and just maybe he's pushing, the, you know, his capabilities a little bit um, to the maximum. Uh, but, it, it, you know, of late, um, we spoke about how Granite Shaka, sorry, Gabriel Jesus was actually instrumental to how he was good in the first half of the season. Um, and I agreed with that, but then I sort of dismissed it and just said he's he's still not being very good. Um, but we've seen now, as Trossard's come in, that that point was very valid and he's looked excellent. And it's two goals in two games. And I just thought he was so good in this game. Like some of his touches, you know, really you know, nice intuitive in those, in those half spaces, the runs he's making are coming off again. Now Trossard's there. We spoke out. They've been subdued a little bit by the opposition. Well, the introduction of Trossard's added another problem in that area and it's allowed his, the timing of those runs to be, you know, threatening again. Um, yeah, he's up there for me. He's my next stock rising and I'll allow you to give your third.
1: Go ahead. Thanks for your permission, lad. Uh, I'm going to give Welcome. it to Gabriel Martinelli. Um, do have to give it to the kid just because he's been, he's our top scorer this season at 13 and believe he is three goals on the season off from breaking the highest tally ever scored by a Brazilian, which I believe is set at, by Roberto Firmino at 15, which seems somehow implausible, but if there's ever a player to do it, I think it's Martinelli. Um, as mentioned, he is in red hot form. He's been, lights out for the past month um and i think again a player that you know there's a lot of conversations like ramsdale like Jaka, about moving on from the entirety of arsenal twitter is hot on rafael Leao, despite the fact that he has never scored above t- i think is it above 10 or above 15 goals for club in a, in a season 10. yeah he's got to have scored above 10 right i mean he's a quality player but do we need to spend $90 million to $110 million to replace Gabriel Martinelli? Absolutely not. Um, he's a brilliant player and I love him to bits. And, you know, it says something you mentioned earlier about his your resilience, the fact that he's able to press for a whole 90 minutes, having just pressed for a whole 120. And also the fact that he he missed the penalty against Sporting. Yeah, that was his miss. He did, yeah. That lost yeah. it. And, and it was, A, in fairness, it was a horrendous penalty. But... You know, asked about it, he was like, "Yeah, that's all right. It happens. We lost. I'm moving on." Goes on to score the opener. I'm just saying, he is—he's a special kid, and I think he's finally ticking into a place where I hope Arsenal fans are starting to appreciate him the way he deserves to be.
0: Yeah, I think he's probably better than Liao, and spending ninety million on Liao and a single there would be absurd. Um but I mean I guess you can never have too many good players. Um and we're going to be in the Champions League so I wouldn't rule out a signing like that. Um yeah, just brilliant. And I wasn't too concerned psychologically about him after that penalty miss for this game because I think he's just so you can tell by the his interviews and his the way he conducts himself, the his the mentality and the people around him. Um you know, he's just he's elite in that aspect and I think he was going to be fine in terms of confidence wise I think it was more about the physical side of it and I think maybe we have another physical freak in our squad along with Granit Shaka and potentially Bakayo someone that can just play all these minutes and be fine um, and not look you know lacking in energy because in this game it was anything from that but that I know he, he did wane a little bit in the second half and he did come off um, because of that but um, yeah brilliant brilliant goal another great performance and his outputs exploded again six goals and six games um he needs that player down the middle who's going to combine with him and and you know we spoke about how he barely touches the him and trossard barely combine um sorry him and then um which is why he he needed someone like trossard and i think he's going to have a very strong end to the season whether he's playing alongside trossard or or gabriel jesus um and that gives me one last player and I'll mention Rob Holding who deserves he's he's probably yes, the biggest um... yeah if we're looking at stock rising uh someone whose stock has risen since prior to the game he's got to be the biggest in the squad in terms of what we were expecting in this in this game and you know what he produced um but I'm not going to I'm going to give him a stock rising but not speak about him because I did speak about how I thought he was great earlier and instead I'll go i think i'll go martin odegaard and i don't know if his stock has necessarily risen because you know he's he's brilliant anyway and i do think it wasn't his absolute best performance but he did look on it and he's still just creative and at the heart of everything six shot creating actions um seven progressive passes three key passes i think um Three shots, you know, he was absolutely the heart of everything, even when it doesn't feel like it was necessarily his absolute best game, he's still integral to us. Um, and I think he had to get a mention as well. And Thomas Partey, just a brilliant player. Um, the way he shielded the back four and his progressive passing, Zinchenko again put up great progressive passing numbers. Gabriel, the whole team deserves a, sh- a shout because every single player was good. Um, yeah. And any any last things you wanna say because we do I do have to go in a minute, so we will have to
1: Yeah, it, I've story. got to wrap dinner. Um if anything nah, all happy. I mean, I think we've pretty well dissected this win. Um possibly one last thing is just that it is an international break. Um you know, it's it's a big rest for some players and potentially a big amount of minutes for others. I mean We've got news today that Rashford and Mount are both out of the England squad, and Southgate's not planning on replacing them. And you know, I am a little worried about Bukayo Saka being fatigued. Um, also, I think Partey has gone. I'm not. Is it, it's not to Afcon, is it? No. Uh they've got Afcon. It's, uh, it's the qualifiers, Afcon qualifiers, yeah. in it? Yeah. Yeah. But he will obviously play a strong role for Ghana. And you know, every time he goes under international duty, we do get a little worried. Um. That said, we do have Jorginho, so I'm not entirely fussed about it. But again, he makes us very good. Um, he was quietly impeccable against Palace. Um, really, nothing to say. I just think, yeah, the whole team deserves plaudits. Um, it's rare that an entire team can blow, you know, blow someone out of the water. But that's the thing: we are a team almost without superstars because everyone is of absurd quality, um, and that is that is the luxury that we. We're quietly earning here at Arsenal Football Club. So yeah, happy days overall.
0: Well, Rob said it in our group chat before the game. He said, I feel like I'm a football snob now because I feel pain at seeing Rob Holding come into the starting eleven. By no means a bad player. Um, just not necessarily at the level of some of our other players. So I understood what Rob meant. Um yeah, it is the interlull, which means we'll have time to just dissect and look ahead and look more holistically at the title race next week when we do our predictions podcast for the rest of the season. Um, so you you will not want to miss that. You want to see how wrong we get it. Um, but yeah, Mac marketing opportunity of a lifetime.
1: Uh, I would like to market my entire body and soul to Daniel Levy. Um. To to not fire Antonio Conte, we didn't as, even
0: mention that. That's hilarious. As, uh, as,
1: well, listen, all right, I have never seen a manager want to get fired from his club as much as Conte does right now. Um, I think Gary Neville, who I who I rarely agree with, had a quote of just, "listen, just like just let him stick it out, make him do his job, don't let him just absolutely slam the team every time he gets in front of a microphone." I mean, is there anything more Spursy? than the world-class coach everyone swore would be better than Mikel Arteta to so actively not want to be a part of the club that he's managing that he shits on them every press conference. I mean, it's honestly, it's one of the most entertaining things in sport right now. Um, Yeah, (sighs) keep him around, please. I mean, the decision is meant to come as to whether he gets fired now or during the international break or at the end of the season. I say that's the same thing now during the international break at the end of the season. Or if they keep him, they won't keep him. Um, But yeah, also the fact that they might return to Potch, I think is hilarious. It's just joke of a club. North London is red. And God, please keep Antonio Conte, because whatever's happening there, it isn't working. How do you draw 3-3 with Southampton? It's so sad. That said, we did draw one with them. Exactly, man. And I mean, if you haven't watched that game, go check out the highlights. Shout out Theo Walcott for still balling it 50 years old with no knees. Um yeah. Love love for Saints, fuck Tottenham.
0: Yeah. Uh I've seen seeing rumors today, well not rumors, reports today that um, the players that the dressing room has become toxic and the players are very disgruntled. Um and usually when a player when a manager publicly um rips into his own players like that, it doesn't really end well. Um, but I don't, as you said, I don't think Conte gives a shit. He, he wants to leave. Uh, he wants to be paid off uh, instead of waiting till the end of his contract. Um, and it's just about whether the club sh- Spurs will do that, and they should, because if they don't, it could go very downhill. And they've still got top four on the line to play for. So it's not like the season is lost. It's not like they're Chelsea in mid table. Um, but yeah, it's very funny. Um, I'm going to plug. We love you also, Cody K. And yeah. We have a song. Me and Mac actually planned it. For, for once um, ever. For once. Uh, it's called Irish Pub Song. And do you want to explain why we've gone for that, Mac?
1: Well, um, yeah. You know, Palace, uh, they weren't managed by Patrick Vieira. Um, they were managed by a different Patrick, who replaced Patrick Vieira, who was fired on St. Patrick's Day. So in honor of Arsenal legend Patrick Vieira, the general splendor that is St. Patrick's Day, um, the fact that I am Irish and the fact that, you know, love Patrick Vieira, long live, but the the ironic Vieira chants throughout the stadium for the entire Palace game have me convinced enough that we've got to do something St. Patrick's Day themed because it's the, the second best Saints Day of the year. The first, of course, being St. Totteringham's Day, which is coming up soon. Stay tuned for that one. But yeah, shout out St. Patrick's Day.
0: I think it had to be. It was written in the stars that the song was about St. Patrick's Day. Um, no doubt. And, and Patrick Paddy. uh, Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll see you in the next predictions board. Bye-bye.
2: There's a county map to go in the wall of hurlers, A stick in a shinty bowl. A brick the brack the crack and. We'll call it an Irish pub. Hey! Capri's hot, cocaine on The Guinness pot and the cabbage crap The I don't wanna be patty trapped We'll call it an Irish pub While well, I'll be fucked And swear upon the holy book The only crack you'll get Is a slap in the ear While well, I'll be fucked I'll often burst your filthy mug If you draw one more shot I'll me beer <laughs> A beer, a dollar, we'll make wear a shirt and colour with we'll fire body, color and colour. an Irish pub The Jager bombs and double shots, the underage just think it's cos We'll spike the drinks and pay the cost, we got us an Irish pub The quick run in the filthy bog, the and grass across the lug of the lady, oh the dirty dog, we got us an Irish pub It's over to me, and over to you. we'll skip along the avenue. And who the hell is running road? We got us an Irish pub just run upon the holy book The only crack you get is a slap in the ear Well I'll be fucked Don't laugh and burst your filthy mug If you drop one more shot, i me beer The bouncers they can pick the fights for we'll call it an Irish pub. Plastic cups are polished for. We'll hose the blood right out the door I let the knuckles back for more. We've we'll got is an Irish pub. Well, I'll be fucked you split upon the holy book. The only crack you'll get is a slap in the ear. Well, I'll be fucked love the burst your filthy monk. If you draw one more shot, I'll give me beer. On, kiss me, I'm Irish, Molly Malone A I a slant, a pug, my home We got us an Irish pub like the punches, trick the willows, strike me up The rakes so are mellow, and if he never ran so shallow We got us an Irish pub Well, I'll be fucked, I swear upon the holly, book The only crack you get is a slap in the air Well, I'll be fucked, I love the verse, you filthy mug If you drop one more shower, give me brief.